Good morning, Resurrection. It's good to see you guys this morning. My name is Dan Breed. Uh, I bring welcome from the great land of Appleton, Wisconsin. If you don't know where Appleton is, it's about an hour and a half northeast of here. And we have been praying for you, for your church, praying for God to provide for you above and beyond anything you could ask or think. And we are so grateful that God has provided a pastor for you to come and been praying for that. Matt was a good friend of mine. It was sad for me to see Matt leave. And I'm sure it's sad for some of you still. And, uh, but I am thankful that God sees things that we don't and he provides for us. And I'm thankful for the new season that you will have as a church. And know that we are connectional, that there are other churches in Wisconsin that care for you, that love you, that have been thinking about you as a church, help plant this church, all those things. And we send our love to you as you start this new season with your new pastor. So just know that, that uh, we care for you and bring love from Emmaus Road in Appleton, Wisconsin. Well, sick of brick and mortar being so expensive and trying to provide products that were cheap and uh, people could have convenience this company started where orders could be shipped by mail. Started with an IPO, Goldman Sachs invested into it. They actually bought a 40-acre logistical center in a major metropolitan area. They sold everything under the sun and shipped it from Craftsman to Die Hard to Kenmore, the largest retailer in the world with the largest office space in the world. What if I told you that this company filed for bankruptcy just a few years ago. What? Amazon? Bankrupt? No way. No, I'm talking about Sears. Sears filed for bankruptcy, and it used to be the, the biggest, the biggest in shipping things by mail. How could a company that was around for 90 years, the Sears Tower, right? How could this company go under? Well, you could write a book of what happened to Sears, the loss of morale in the company, bad investments, overextending. But if you had said to the people in the company in the 80s, said, you know, in just 30 years, you're going to be gone, the majority wouldn't have believed you. Too big to fail. Today, we're going to see a shock of a nation. It's been in the land for 500 years, and at the height of their power. And if someone told them, you know, in 40 years, you will be gone, they would have said, you got to be joking me. There is no way. But here's the thing. The very core of who they were was already gone. And they were seeing as a people and a nation this crumble. I have a question for us this morning as we look at Hosea. When things in our life, our core, are challenged, not by just happenstance, do our lives show that, do we really live what we believe? What would cause us to maybe think, what my core of what my belief is, is actually not there? And maybe I'm not living the way I should be. Would you be shocked if someone said that to you? 
Well, that's the shock of Hosea, the shock of the prophet. I know you guys are going through the minor prophets uh, this summer, and uh, I know I can't go through the all. I've gone through the whole book of Hosea as, a ch- as our church, but I'm just going to give you a glimpse, hopefully in chapter one today, and hopefully it will give you a little picture of the book and hope you would read it on your own maybe at some point in time. But here is one of the minor prophets, and it's written over a 40-year period to the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom is in a precarious time. Um, and the thing is, Hosea's message was probably a message that's very hard for them to believe. Again, they are at the height of their power, and they think they are good with God. The customs are still there. The religion is still there. The, all the things of Israelite religion were in place. But here's the thing. They were cheating on God. They're starting to feel pressure from other nations over these next 40 years. And with the pressure that they feel, they go to other gods. And then they also go to other nations for security and hope, thinking this will get them through this. And they even double down on their sacrifices, thinking this will be okay. Really, the message of Hosea is, how do I communicate? How does God communicate? to this people that just don't get that they are wandering from the Lord. Well, as you can see in chapter 1, God gives a very arresting kind of allegory and a very arresting situation that kind of wakes us up right away. Usually when God talks to the prophets, he asks the prophets to say something. But instead, God doesn't ask Hosea to simply say something. He asks Hosea to do something. He asks Hosea to marry a prostitute. Here in verse 2, even in today's time, this language would be very shocking. You see, not just once, not twice, not three times, but four times the, the word whoredom is used, again, to get Israel's attention. So what God does is God is trying to communicate through his prophet what he is experiencing in the unfaithfulness of Israel. The unfaithfulness of Israel to God is what Hosea then experiences by marrying a prostitute. And then through this experience, God wants to communicate his loving faithfulness to his people Israel and tries to have Hosea experience what it means to lovely, faith, faithfully love a woman that leaves him over and over again. And then we also see in the passage what unfaithfulness gives birth to. Again, it's just not communicated, but it's experienced And we see these children's names, three children's names that Hosea has through Gomer that represent, again, the experience that God has in Israel's unfaithfulness to him. I grew up just probably a mile from here, right over there. And we used to have UW students live with us growing up. And there was something unique about our house Um, our house uh, was old 
So uh, if you know something about old houses in Wisconsin, it happens even in our house in Appleton, is that in the summertime, bats get in, right? And uh, one of the students who didn't see very well um, was in the kitchen, and she might be here today, I'm just going to tell you. She was in the kitchen, and she was reaching down in the sink for a washcloth, didn't have her glasses on, looking for a washcloth. Instead of grabbing the washcloth, she grabbed a bat. <laughs> you can imagine the experience of grabbing a bat um, instead of a washcloth. And here's the thing. That's kind of true of what the experience is and what Hosea is trying to communicate to these people. You do not see. You do not have your glasses on. Instead, you're grabbing on to the wrong things, to other idols, to other nations. And you know what the prophets do as you're going through the prophets? The prophets try to put glasses on us to see what we are grabbing. And here it is. The people are kind of oblivious, again, to what they're holding on to. And tr the prophets are, again, trying to show them that these things are not good for you. Different religions, worshiping fertility gods, economic prosperity. The prophets try to point out what is good. It's kind of a hard thing to gauge when you're in the midst of it. Is it happiness? Is it success? Is it your truth? It's not very dissimilar from our time. And here's the thing. God sees clearly what we cannot see. And he communicates to the prophets what maybe others can't see that they might see. And it's not very received very well from others. Think about it. The executives in the Sears Tower in the 1980s could not see what was going to happen. 19th century American culture in the South could not always see the kind of thing that they were building it on. It was not good. 2000s Hollywood could not see what was happening on the casting couch was actually detrimental. We just keep on going with this day. It's just fine. Keep plugging away, keep doing what it is, and in the midst of the systems, whether it's Sears, whether it's the South during slavery, whether it is Hollywood producers thinking they can continue in this kind of way, then someone brings light to the situation. And we go, how did we not see how bad this was? See, the prophets can clearly see what we cannot see. I do wonder, are there things that we just live and breathe and are just in that we don't see that is actually a wandering from God that we're doing? And again, Hosea is trying to arrest their attention. And maybe he's trying to do the same to us. And it just keeps on going. The Hebrew names is really important. Usually when you gave children's name is the happenings in Israel when they were born, things that were happening in the culture. And the caveat is that usually it was only positive things that you gave to Hebrew children, positive names. But instead, here is a very different kind of situation. The names that Hosea 
that God calls Hosea to name his children are names that are not positive. Jezreel, for example, this was a famous background for Israel. On the outside, it was very positive for them. This is where Deborah defeated the Canaanites, where Gideon um, defeated the Midianites, where Saul defeated the Philistines, where the Amri dynasty was started over 100 years. But in fact, Jezreel, this name of this first child, in seven years, the Assyrians will destroy Israel in this place. And soon, this name will not have a name of positivity to it, but actually have a name of negativity to it. A place that used to be an example of Israel's prosperity and glory and power will instead have a name of defeat. A symbol of a place of power will no longer be there. Instead, it will be their destruction as Israel is destroyed by Assyria. I went to Madison West High School, and uh, there's the rock that sits out outside of Madison West, and it's a symbol. It's always painted by the class and all those kind of things. But one year, Madison Memorial stole the rock, right? That's shocking, right, as a Madison West student, when the rock gets stolen, right? And when you come to school and you realize your identity of your class and all those things, it's totally gone. That's the kind of arresting kind of thing that happens in this kind of situation. It wakes people up to go, something is changed and different. And then the names continue to get worse, right? You see there's ambiguity in the verses about she conceived again and bore a daughter. And here, again, Hosea is not named. Many would argue that it's actually not Hosea's own children, that this is actually that Gomer has slept with other men, and these are children that are conceived by these other men. And here are the names that then are given. Again, you see, and the Lord said to him, Call her name No Mercy, for I'll no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all, but I'll have mercy on the house of Judah, And I'll save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. Again, here you see that the Lord, who is known for having mercy and compassion, has said his long-lasting love is gone. Here he's saying, I have no mercy and no compassion upon you. That would have been shocking because they know that God is faithful and good and loving. And now instead, the name given is no mercy. And then it just keeps on going. Lo ami. It's kind of the icing on the cake. Israel was known not because it had unique armies or numbers. It was known because their relationship with God, this covenant relationship that gave them the power that they had. And now God says, no, you are not my people. I withdraw my covenant from you. It's very divorce language-esque. This would have been incredibly shocking for the people. But again, God is trying to wake Israel up to know in 40 years you will be destroyed by Syria. Do you not know your very foundations are crumbling in who you follow and what you do? 
sometimes hard to bring that perspective to what we're experiencing today. Could you imagine Sunday, Saturday morning and you went out on Breeze Terrace and no one was at Camp Randall for a game? I lived in the 80s here. I know what it's like to have no one at the game, right? It was that bad back in those days. Could you imagine if the executives at Epic said, guess what? Tomorrow, we close our doors. It's over. It's done. The company is over with. You'd be like, what are you talking about? Could you imagine the mayor of Madison saying the farmer's market is no longer. The art fair in the square is no longer taking place. You go, what? That's our identity as Madisonians, right? That's who we are. These kind of things are what make us who we are. But what if it even went deeper? What if Madisonians actually just said, we're going to follow the status quo? Could you imagine that? Like, we're no longer a progressive city that we actually said, you know what, let's just be chill and be who we are and we don't care about progress. Like, that would scare us half to death, too. It makes Madison Madison, right? That's what Hosea is doing to shock the Israelites. All these things are be taken away. And people go, that's our identity. That's who we are. And hear what God is saying. No, actually, that is not who you are. Who you are is your relationship with me. Not traditions, not sacrifices, not history. You have cheated on me so long, I'm going to take those things away so that you might realize what your foundation really is. What would God have to say to us to find out where we really stand with him? Where our relationship really is with the Lord? You know, I'm good because, you know, I grew up, I was baptized. I know the right words. I'm born again. I have Christian parents. I have a cross around my neck. See, these names were shocking because they thought they were good. But God is showing you run after other gods. And I will take these things away from you. And rather quickly, people always go to verse 10, and we'll get there. But sometimes you have to sit in the shocking language the beginning of Hosea is. Many times you take the grace for granted. Who is our lover? What have we conceived? Do we call on God when it's convenient? Keep living this way, not really caring? To do what works for me, what's convenient for me? What is your true love? Hosea shows us that God is not fooled. When the pressure's on, when you're squeezed, you see what really comes out. They run to other gods. They run to other nations. When you are squeezed, 
what do you go to? What comes out? <laughs> is it your phone? Is it your 401k? Is it your vacation? Is it your title? God is not fooled. We can do a dance at church. <laughs> we can sing nice songs. We can think, here's a great place to network with people. But God wonders, do you really belong to me? Is your trust in me? Is your foundation in me? And here's what God does. Even though Israel is far from me, my promise will still come to fruition. Even if the church might be far from me, I will still raise up a people. And then you see the beauty at the end of this passage. Verse 10. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint for themselves one head, and that shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Here's the thing, Israel will be consumed in 40 years. And this language is there hundreds and hundreds of years under Assyrian power, under Babylonian power, under Persian power, under Roman power, under Greek power, all of these different nations that have come over time and conquered over them. They might have wondered, how can this be true? The number of the children of Israel should be like the sand of the seas. It was only 600,000 if you combined Israel and Judah at that time together. But you see God's faithfulness through history. The history of the diaspora, the coming of Christ. You see that what happens in the New Testament with Acts in the time of uh, Pentecost. And you see the people, uh, the message of Christianity spread out and the gospel go to nation after nation after nation. That God is faithful. That how they might not see it there, that over time, this number of 600,000, now today, think about it, a billion plus people would say that they confess Christ. See, out of this, God still worked. He was able to use it. And Paul uses this language later in Romans 9. Those who are not my people, I will call my people. And her who is not beloved, I will call beloved. And in this very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called the sons of the living God. Even in Israel's unfaithfulness, God is faithful. God is active. And he draws the nations to himself. He appoints and destroys kingdoms, but he will raise up a king that will unite the north and the south, Israel and Judah. There would come one that would unite the nations, and that would be Christ. 
Hosea could hardly have foreseen exactly how dramatic this change would be. But we on this side of the cross see it more fully. To really understand Hosea, you have to realize that um, Hosea is not talking actually to Israel. I mean, he is talking later after Israel has been destroyed. He's talking to Judah, the southern kingdom that still exists after Israel has been destroyed by Assyria. And he's trying to get Judah to realize you could go down the same path of Israel if you do not change. He's trying to get them to see, see God's goodness that you do not fall in the trap. say this to my church, I'll say it to you, if you're going to hear anything I say, maybe you've totally checked out in all the time I've talked so far, here is the major point of what I'm trying to say, and I think the passage argues. God shows us the extent of what adultery brings, so that we might see the glory of the grace that he has given. God shows the extent of what adultery brings, so that we might see the glory of the grace that God has given. You know, I sh- you know this is a sermon I've done before, right? But uh, I get to mix it up with you guys in Madison, right? So let's mix it up. I can, s- I can say things to you guys I can't say to my church, right? That's kind of the fun of it, right? I'm going to say something fun. There's an elephant in the room in Christianity today, in the church today. Maybe you see it. That evangelicalism in general has not been producing the kind of fruit it should be with children. Maybe your friends. Maybe you. The big word, deconstruction, right? That's what we're experiencing among my kids, people's children that grew up in evangelicalism, people that are walking away from the faith, that's what we're seeing in general. I know evangelicalism is a loaded word. I'll just say the conservative church in America, okay? Take it for what it's worth. And I think Hosea has something to say to us about that. One of these people that deconstruct, uh, maybe you've um, read the books and seen the movie A Fault in His Stars, right? Have you guys seen that? The author, John Green, famous author, writes lots of young adult fiction stories and things like that. Grew up Christianity and uh, wanted to go to seminary. Um, and then he became a, a hospital chaplain before he wanted to go to seminary in his early 20s. And uh, there, uh, John Green experienced a story where a young man, young boy actually, was burned very badly when he was there on call as a chaplain. And he was in the break room after seeing this young man, and the pediatrician had come in and was actually, um, was so traumatized by this, he he was crying, the pediatrician was and said, this boy is is not going to live. John Green went home, and uh, just it was so hard for him, this experience that he said, I can't believe in a God that would have this happen. 
he uh, didn't go back to the chaplaincy. He uh, decided not to go to seminary. He walked away from the Lord and started writing books. Now he's, you know, making lots of money. But uh, he was on this podcast. Maybe you guys are fans of Jonathan Goldstein. It's not a Christian podcast. A podcast called Heavyweights, which is about reconciliation and relationships. This is 20 years later. This happened to John 20 years ago. And he told Jonathan Goldstein, I, I want to find out where this, if this boy is still alive. And I Googled him, and I found out he's still living. He did not die. And Jonathan Goldstein said, you know, they work on trying to bring people together. And Jonathan Green said, okay, um, I want to talk with this boy. I want to see if his life's okay. And so they, Jonathan sets up this phone call between the two of them. This young man's now in his early 20s. And... Uh, John Green's talking to this young man, he finds out that um, he's actually going to a Christian school, this young man is. He was burned bad, he still experiences some of the pain, he has burns over his body, he can't use his right arm, he still just experiences pain through his whole life. And this young man explains, he says, you know what, um, through that experience, someone came to my family and told us about Christianity, and we all came to faith. And God taught me in this pain, in this suffering, that he actually is good and he loves me. And he's telling this to this John Green character. And then what happens is, this, okay, this is just perplexing to me. Jonathan Goldstein, who's not a Christian, is now reviewing this whole story to this author, John Green. And he says, narrating it, in a time where John hungered for something beyond reason, there was this young boy and what happened to him. And John Green said to this young boy, you know, I don't even believe in prayer. I don't even believe in God anymore. For the past 20 years, I've been praying for you that maybe God would do something, even though I did not believe in God. And the young boy, this young man now, said to John Green, have you ever thought that maybe God was actually working upon you in those prayers? And maybe, and you did not see it, he was trying to show his grace to you. You know, I see this young man, Nick, who was burned kind of like Hosea, speaking to the church today that has wandered away, that has said, oh God, I don't know if you exist. I don't know if you're good because of things that experienced politically or things that have been experienced in my life. And here, God is crying out to us, saying, I am faithful and I am good, even if you wander from me. Even if you feel like you are far away, I can come to you 
and I can speak to you. You know, I think the cross is a clear picture. This is what our sin does. This is what division from God is. But in that same division, same ugliness, we see a picture of grace and his love for us. You know, a name like Jezreel was a name of glory and power and strength, and then it became a name of defeat. The cross is a name of defeat, and then it became a name of victory. So that in that victory, we would be given new names. That we are not children that are abandoned. Instead, we have children with names of being sons and daughters of God. That we do not have no nation, but we belong to Christ and his church. The grand reversal has happened. That is the good news of the gospel. Maybe you're playing the games. Maybe you think your foundation is on your baptism or on coming to church or those kind of things. Or maybe you're deconstructing. Come to the table. Come to a place where God says, I am good and I'm faithful. I can answer those questions and I can be your firm foundation. I know Cam, I know Sam, I know these guys, they are really good guys. And I'm sure they would love to process with you what it means to trust in Christ and what the good news is. And maybe you are not on the right foundation and you need to do business with God. I pray that you would take this time before communion to be able to do business with him, to say, this is where my foundation lies, that you might see it's in him and him alone. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you give a shocking language in Hosea, language of adultery, language of no name, language of a place that is in ruins, so that you might wake us up to see what our true foundation is. It is not in 401ks or in vacations or titles, but it is in you and you alone. Help us to trust in you, God. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.